lots of folks are finding different ways to beat the mundane and monotony in our current state. Card games, board games, bike rides, trail walks, early evening drives down to the lake or out to count deer at dusk. We're finding that we need a change of scenery in these days. And I think it's healthy, especially in these days of social distancing, to get a change of scenery, a, a change of perspective. Our routines, even without quarantine, might sometimes require a bit of an intentional shift for our physical health, our emotional health, also for our spiritual health. It's easy to look at the things of life through the lens of our circumstances, to become surrounded by our situations. We get mental, emotional, and spiritual claustrophobia. What if, what if we focus on God instead of focusing on the problem? Rather than look at our lot, look at the abundance of God. Well, yesterday in our worship time, we looked at David's words in Psalm 86. Psalm 86, verse 1. David writes, Incline your ear, O Lord, and answer me, for I am afflicted and needy. Preserve my soul, for I am a godly man. O you, my God, save your servant who trusts in you. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for to you I cry all day long. Make glad the soul of your servant, for to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. Verse 6, Give ear, O Lord, to my prayer, and give heed to the voice of my supplications. In the day of my trouble, I shall call upon you. There's eight pleas to the Lord from David. Incline your ear, O Lord. Bend down and hear me. Answer me. Preserve my soul. Keep me. Protect me. Save your servant who trusts in you. That's me. Be gracious. Make glad the soul of your servant. I'm, I'm trying to follow you. Verse 6. Give ear to my prayer. Hear me. Give heed to my supplication. You know, we don't talk like that or write like that anymore. Give heed to my supplication. Listen to my prayer. Help me, I beg you. You see, David's got a problem. David's got a problem. Well, what is it? Look at verse 7. In the day of my trouble, in the day of my trouble, what is David's trouble? Well, go down to verse 14 in Psalm 86. O God, arrogant men have risen up. They've risen up against me, and a, and a band of violent men have sought my life, and they have not set you before them. These men, they're, they're arrogant, they're violent. They've risen up and, and they're seeking David's life. They've not set God before themselves. Verse 16, Turn to me and be gracious to me. O grant your strength to your servant and save the son of your handmaid. You know, you know, David had a, his family had a heritage of, of, of following the Lord. And David's crying out to the Lord, Show me a sign for good. Verse 17, Show me a sign for good that those who hate me may see it and be ashamed. 
There's more pleas from David there in verse verse 16. Turn to me, be gracious to me, grant strength to your servant. Show me a sign for good. Why? Why? So that those enemies full of hate should be full of shame upon the recognition of the sign of good. When the enemies see the Lord working on behalf of the afflicted, they should stop and feel ashamed. David David is afflicted and needy. We go back to verse 1. We can see David is afflicted and needy. In verse 2, he's a godly man, but he cries all the day long there in verse 3. David lifts his soul to the Lord. David is not unlike you or me. David has real needs, just like you and just like me. And here David is dealing with flesh and blood enemies. Well, and that makes sense. David is a mighty warrior. He, he's, he had made a few enemies by this point. And a successful king, sadly, is going to have to watch his back. You heard me say this a couple of weeks back. I don't think that most of us deal in that world where we have physical adversaries. But I sure know that we all deal with adversaries, enemies of, enemies of the mind, enemies of our emotions, enemies that steal our peace, enemies that promote anxiety. Enemies named fear and worry and, and their nasty henchmen. What's going to happen? And you know, if we're not careful, that this is where we will hang out. We will park here and, and dwell on our afflictions and our troubles. But we need a change of scenery. We need a change of scenery. In this dire situation, David looks to the goodness of the Lord. Look there at verse 5. For you, Lord, are good and ready to forgive, and abundant in loving kindness to all who call upon you. Verse 7. In the day of my trouble I shall call upon you, for you will answer me. Verse 5 tells us the Lord is good. What does the Lord's goodness look like? Well, we see the Lord's goodness in his creation. Psalm 19 tells us that the heavens are telling the very glory of God, and their expanse is declaring the work of his hands. The heavens themselves show us the glory of God in creation. And, and some of you, by, by going out, uh, taking a, an evening drive down to the lake or going out uh, and counting deer at dusk, you're, you are enjoying God's good creation. We see God's goodness not just in his creation, but in his provision. Psalm 104. Psalm 104 tells us that the Lord causes the grass to grow for the cattle and vegetation for the labor of man, so that man may bring forth food from the earth. We, we read later on down in, in Psalm 104 that all life, they wait for the Lord. They, they all wait for you, O God, to give them their food in due season. You give to them, they gather it up, you open your hand, 
they are satisfied with good. We see the Lord's goodness in his creation and his provision, but also also his protection. Uh, Psalm 23, a well-known psalm. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He, He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though, even though I'm walking through this valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. I fear no evil, for God, you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. In verse 5, we read that the Lord is ready to forgive. There in Psalm 86, verse 5, why is he ready to forgive? Well, the rest of of verse 5 reads this, that the Lord is abundant in loving kindness to all who call upon him. The Lord is great in his faithfulness to all who cry out to him. The Lord is great in his promised loyalty to his people. And and because he is, verse 7 tells us, the Lord will answer. Verse 8, David writes, There is no one like you among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours, for you are great and do wondrous deeds. You alone are God. Verse 13, For your loving kindness toward me is great, and you have delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol. The Lord is unique. Uh, there in verse 8, there is no one like you among the gods, O Lord. Among the gods, among the gods. Is David saying that there is more than one? No. David knew the writings of Moses. He knew the writings of the law. David knew that Moses said in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Now, we know that there are heavenly messengers. They brought judgment against Sodom and Gomorrah way back in Genesis 19. So there are other heavenly beings. There are angels. But there is only one God. Maybe David meant it like a taunt to those who have placed their hope and trust in other things besides the Lord. Psalm 115 calls out those wayward folks who have who have placed their hope and trust in things that are not God. Psalm 115 reads that their idols are silver and gold, the work of man's hands. They have mouths, but they cannot speak. They have eyes, but they cannot see. They have ears, but they cannot hear. They have noses, but they cannot smell. They have hands, but they cannot feel. They have feet, but they cannot walk. They cannot make a sound with their throat. Those who make them will become just like them. Verse 8, we read that there is no one like you among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. The Lord has made the nations. We see that in verse 9. All nations whom you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, 
and they shall glorify your name. Look down at verse 15. You, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abundant in loving kindness, loving kindness and truth, because you, O Lord, have helped me and comforted me. The Lord has helped and comforted David. Where has the Lord helped and comforted David? David's whole life. As David the shepherd boy who fought Goliath. As David the king-to-be who was on the run from Saul. As David the crowned king who fought and defeated the Philistines, the Moabites, and the Arameans, to, to name just a few. As David in his sins with Bathsheba and subsequent murder of her husband Uriah, as David was confronted and called out by Nathan the prophet, David cried out to God in Psalm 51, those beautiful words of reassurance. Psalm 51. Be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the greatness, the greatness of your compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. In verse 15, we read that the Lord is slow to anger. Slow to anger, what, what does that mean? It was after the time of David, it was after the exile of the Israelites. The entire nation was scattered and Jerusalem was in ruins. Nehemiah, the cupbearer to King Artaxerxes of Persia, felt a burden to return home to help rebuild. And in his graciousness to Nehemiah, the king lets him return. The Old Testament book of Nehemiah recounts both the hardships of the return of the exiles and the beautiful story of God's faithfulness. In chapter 9, we see Nehemiah and the exiles come together in worship. They assemble together, praising God for his goodness and they begin to think back about God's faithfulness to Israel. And in Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 5, we read these words of the priests to the Lord in that worship assembly. Blessed be your glorious name, and may it be exalted above all blessing and praise. You alone are the Lord. You made the heavens, even the highest heavens, and all their starry hosts the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them. You give life to everything, and the multitudes of heaven, they worship you. You are the Lord God who chose Abram and brought him out of the land of the Chaldeans and named him Abraham. You found his heart faithful to you, and you made a covenant with him to give to his descendants the promised land. You have kept your promise because you are righteous. You saw the suffering of our ancestors in Egypt. You heard their cry at the Red Sea. You divided the sea before them so that they passed through on dry ground, but you hurled their pursuers into the depths. 
like a stone into mighty waters. By day you led them with a pillar of cloud, and by night with a pillar of fire to give them light on the way on the way they were to take. You came down on Mount Sinai. You spoke to them from heaven. You gave them regulations and laws that are just and right, and decrees and commands that are good. You know, God is good, and, and he gives us directions for a reason. And, and here in Nehemiah, the Levites are praising God for that. You made known to them your holy Sabbath and gave them commands, decrees, and laws through your servant Moses. In their hunger, you gave them bread from heaven. And in their thirst, you brought them water from the rock. You told them to go and take possession of the land, of the land that you had sworn with uplifted hand to give them. And is appropriate in worship when we see the holy righteousness of God, we see our sinfulness. In this worship service in Nehemiah 9, the Israelites begin to confess their sins. There in Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 16, But they, our ancestors, became arrogant and stiff-necked, and they did not obey your commands. They refused to listen and failed to remember the miracles you had performed among them. But you are a forgiving God, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and abounding in love. Therefore you did not desert them. Even when they cast for themselves an image of a calf and said, This is your God who brought you up out of Egypt, or when they committed awful blasphemies. Because of your great compassion, you did not abandon them in the wilderness. Aren't we glad that God is slow to anger? You, you gave your good spirit to instruct them. You did not withhold your manna from their mouths, and you gave them water for their thirst. For forty years you sustained them in the wilderness. They lacked nothing. Their clothes did not wear out, nor did their feet become swollen. After the Israelites arrived and they took the land where they ate to the full and were well nourished, God, they reveled in your great goodness. But they were disobedient, they rebelled against you, they turned their backs on your law, they killed your prophets, they, they killed your preachers. They killed your prophets who had warned them in order to turn them back to you. They committed awful blasphemies. So you delivered them into the hands of their enemies who oppressed them. But when they were oppressed, they cried out to you. From heaven you heard them. And in your great compassion, you gave them deliverers who rescued them from the hand of their enemies. In your compassion, you delivered them time after time after time. You know, we all need a reminder from time to time, don't we? God is faithful even as we are not. We all need a change of scenery from looking inward to upward, so to speak. When we magnify something, we draw in close to it, pushing everything else out of the way. In Psalm 86, verse 10, we read, 
these words of David, For you are great and do wondrous deeds, you alone are God. We know of God's greatness because of his mighty acts. God is a doer. God does wondrous deeds. And here are two of them. What does David say in verse 13? For your loving kindness toward me is great, and you have delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol, the lowest grave, the lowest hell. Man or man-made idol could not do this. Only God can. Only God could deliver one soul from the lowest hell. How has he done this? In his holiness, God has shown his great faithfulness to us by dying on the cross for each of our sins. We can read in the Gospel of John that Jesus said these words. He said that he and the Father are one. Jesus, God the Son, went to the cross to die on the cross for each of us, for each of our sins. God's faithfulness to us is active his faithfulness is an active, wondrous deed after deed, after deed, after deed. His loving kindness toward us is not passive. The end of verse 10 really says it all. You alone are God. You alone are God. In verse 15, we read that the Lord is abundant in truth, great in his truth. And David wants to respond to that truth. Look at verse 11. Teach me your way, O Lord. I will walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. The only way to stand against an enemy is with a united front, whether it's in your home or in your heart. The only way to stand against the enemy is with a united front. Verse 12, we read these words of David. I will give thanks to you, O Lord my God, with all my heart, and will glorify your name forever. That sounds like an appropriate response, doesn't it? Teach me your way. Unite my heart. O Lord, to walk in your truth, to give thanks to you with all of my heart, to glorify your name forever. A change of scenery. A reminder of the truth that we see in God's Word, that God is God alone, and only God could deliver the soul from the lowest hell. God has shown His great faithfulness to us by dying on the cross for each of our sins. God the Son, Jesus. Freedom from sin, the assurance of eternal life, life with Him, life forever.